0: Welcome back to another episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I have something very special planned for you over the coming weeks. I'm sure you're aware, but I wrote a book, no big deal, called Best Hour of Their Day. Maybe you've read it, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you're going to order it. It's available on Amazon as well as my own personal website, thejasonackerman.com, and the Best Hour of Their Day website as well. But after writing the book, I thought how cool would it be to have an audiobook as well. So that's what we did. We now have an audio version of Best Hour of Their Day, and it's available on audible.com. I'll put the links on where to order the paperback, where to order the ebook, and of course where to order the audiobook. But I decided to do something special when recorded the audiobook. I decided to take a deeper dive into each chapter. So if you've read the book. There's 30 chapters, and in each one of those chapters, I provide a story, a true story from my ownership of three affiliates, from my time on the seminar staff, from my time judging the CrossFit Games, and from my time running the regionals in the Northeast. And I took a deeper dive into each chapter. I was interviewed, and in those chapters, we go further along into more stories, more lessons, and of course, if you're listening, more advice. Nothing I did came without tons and tons of failure. Because of that failure, I really believe that's why ultimately I became successful. And I think it's important for all of you to hear that. So each chapter has another 30, 45, 60-minute discussion on what went down during that time in my life. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend you check it out. But what I'm going to do, because I love giving back to this community, is once a week, put one of those discussions here on the podcast, oh, best hour of their day. So you can listen to it absolutely free. If you love it, do me a favor, go check out the audiobook. maybe give it a download. If you don't like it, just listen to it and move on. And you can also, of course, always leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. That really helps when you leave us a five-star glowing review about this podcast. Of course, if you have questions for me about the book, if you have questions for me about box ownership, if you have questions for me about anything in life, I'll do my best to answer them. You can email me directly, hour of at gmail.com. But I really hope you enjoy it. I was interviewed by James McDermott, a former coach of mine, longtime friend now, and it really was a interesting, fascinating, and really humbling experience. To go back and look at all these chapters and look at all these stories i hope you enjoy without further ado here you go the next chapter of best hour of their day
1: good all right jay well we're in the best hour of our day book and we are in the prologue before crossfit so i've got some very specific questions about some of the things that i read in there and readers are experiencing and the first one comes in regards to mr ortega just want right. um, have—he made a very big impact on your life. It, you, one could argue that if Mr. Ortega doesn't encourage you to join the wrestling team, none of this happens. Possibly.
0: Yeah, I, I firmly agree with that. First of all, you're asking me to remember. This is over 25 years ago. This is it's stopping and thinking back about that is is pretty overwhelming in and of itself. But yes, you're absolutely right it's one of those moments. I think we all have those moments in life where something big is happening and you don't realize that it's happening at that moment. And I think Mr. Ortega, I remember, you know, it's one of those moments I also remember pretty vividly walking into that earth science class and seeing Mr. Ortega for the first time. He's, you know, a little bit taller than me, frumpy looking guy at the time, you know, this is you know, 25 years ago, but yeah, without him, that's pretty pretty, do you have a moment like that? I think everybody has a moment like that, and hopefully, as coaches, we've impacted people like that as well. you know, whether it's to become a coach or to you know take their first crossFit class, so that was Mr. Ortega for me
1: now, um have you ever thought about reaching out to him? like I don't know if he's still around. this was twenty five years ago
0: so as I was writing the book i couldn't find him on any social media platform. You know, he's probably 70 something years old at this point. And I reached out to his daughter. So his his son, Luke, was a, a year older than me. And he was on the wrestling team and, and used to beat the crap out of me, this kid. And I hated him. <laughs> like, I hated this kid. But he was nice off the mats and then just kicked my ass every day on the mats and he was small he was 105 pounds and I was 91 pounds but it was enough that it, and he was much better than me so he I reached out to him and then he also had a daughter who was a year younger than me her name was Nikki and she got back to me and said he would love it and I sent him this long message on Facebook but then I never heard back from him so you know might have went to his spam filter or whatnot but hopefully at least she passed on the message
1: yeah it's it's possible that you know maybe he's not as technologically savvy as you are being in his, his close to seventies. Now, I mean, just wondering what were some of the things that you said to him, or if, if you could be face to face with him right now, after all that you've been through since his first impact, uh, what would you say to him?
0: I don't even know that he would remember me. I'd like to think he would, you know, we spent a lot of time in the mats together. He coached for, 3 of the 4 years I was on the mat. So when when his older son Luke um graduated high school, he retired as the wrestling coach and we got a new wrestling coach for my senior year. But I would just thank him for encouraging me to do this even though it was probably not with the intentions that you know he had set out for that it truly impacted my life and that without that push I really don't know what I would where I would be. It's so it's, it was like you said it was so impactful. You know, do I ever step foot into the gym? You know, do it. Does my because a lot. You know, wrestling is, in my opinion, the the best sport for a a growing boy or girl in this stage, day and age. And I don't know that what my mindset would be today without that wrestling. Or you know, I'm gonna go train jujitsu later today, all because I stepped on those wrestling mats. So I would, I would definitely give him a heartfelt hug and thank you and and let him know that I'm sure I'm not the only one that he's had that impact on, you know, all the, all of my teammates and all the other people that passed through his classroom over 30 or, or more years, you know, all teachers really, if you're listening, thank you.
1: Now, you know, he had that impact on you and you're reminiscing now on what he did to start you out. Have you had your own quote, Mr. Ortega moments where you would be in his shoes and someone else has sought you out because of a way that you affected them and got them started, whether it be of just saying good job, a high five, a fist bump, or actually giving concrete advice. I mean, sometimes we don't realize as coaches the impact we have on people with maybe the tiniest of actions. So have you had your own Mr. Ortega moment?
0: I'd like to think so. I think, you know, this reminds me of there's a great Ted talk that one of our former colleagues, Kevin Houston used to play all the time. I and Sasha Kehoe uh, it was called the lollipop moment. I don't know if you remember that. We we watched it together, I believe. But, you know, it's just about this college kid that gave a lollipop to two incoming freshmen. And they remembered him all these years later because the, the two people that he gave lollipops to actually started dating and got married, you know, because wow. of his interaction. So I, I think. Hopefully if someone is listening to this, it's because I've impacted them. I'd like to think, you know, I don't know not to flip the script on you, James, but I don't know that you'd be where you are today, you know, had you not shown up at Albany CrossFit, right? And yeah, there's, agreeable.
1: There's
0: there's things where it's probably just how you act in that moment. If you would have showed up as an intern and I mean, hey. We weren't the nicest people. We we were a very much a fraternity, but you stuck around anyway for some that, reason. That'll
1: be coming out in next year's "Not the Best Hour of Your Day" Gates <laughs> <a> McMurtry <German> story.
0: <laughs> but um, you know, I think you know, like you or other people in the book, Caleb came as an intern, and now you know, I believe he still owns a box in the in the Albany area. Murph, I mean Murph's a huge chapter in the book, and again. I think sometimes it's not just being the person that, I'm not the one that told Murph to go to the box. His brother Josh did, but had he shown up and we just completely been appalled that this 500 pound human being was showing up, I think it changes things. So so I hope so. And and luckily every weekend at level ones and level twos over the years, I've, I've been able to have that impact. But yeah, I think much of the coaching staff at Albany CrossFit those first four or five years did that. I mean, and how many of them now have gone on to open their own box. I mean, I, I would say the trickle-down effect from Albany CrossFit has probably led to 10 to 15 boxes in that area. Would you
1: agree yeah, with that? Yeah, pretty much every gym in the area to some extent.
0: Right, whether it's was a member of, of ours like Joy or Chad or Caleb or, you know, Zach, who opened one, you know, CrossFit Helium. But then also the trickle-down, there's people that open boxes from them.
1: Yeah. And then there's the people that would take our on-ramp course just to learn how to coach an air squat and then go back to their own personal training business or something like that. They didn't think we knew, but we, we know.
0: Yeah. But, you know, and, and I'm sure there were times we got mad about that, but then, you know, taking that bigger picture approach, it's, we did something really well.
1: Yeah. We we were passing on knowledge and experience. Now uh, speaking of knowledge and experience and, and coaching, uh, one one more question about Mr. Ortega. Uh, what was his coaching style like, and has any of that trickled into you on the way you approach athletes or coach someone?
0: I don't really remember his coaching style all that much. He was very fun, but when he needed to, he would you know yell at us and and push us. Um, but at the same time, he let a lot go for. High school boys. I remember one time in particular, we had twins on the team, Jason and Pete Salazo, who were the next weight classes above Luke. So I was 91. There was a 98 pounder Pete, um, and then there was Luke at 105, and then his older brother Jason was like 119. But there's this one time. I think it was my sophomore year, where there was no chance of this actually happening in reality, but. Pete and Jason convinced Coach Ortega that there's a chance one might miss weight and one might make weight and they had to do a wrestle-off. Now, in the high school world, the wrestle-off is basically who makes varsity. So the winner goes on, takes the varsity spot, the loser takes the JV spot or has to adjust where they're going to wrestle. Let me tell you something. Having twin boys wrestle off is not a good idea ever. So we're all just like, Even as a freshman or sophomore, I remember thinking, like, why the hell is this about to happen? And within 30 seconds, it just turned into a brawl amongst the two boys. And Mr. Ortega was just like, he let it go. And then when they were done, he was like, get out, calm down, come back. And they did. So that was, you know, kind of his coaching style there. But, you know, oftentimes he wasn't the most athletic guy. He never wrestled in high school or college. He took up the the, the idea of coaching probably just when he was younger because he needed an income and he would get on the mats with us. He would wrestle us. And he, you know, you, I never remember thinking of him like I didn't like him. I always remember thinking of him like he was my coach and I respected him. Yeah. and, and That's and hard.
1: To, to go back to something you said right in the beginning, he, you know, he was all about the fun, but when he had to, he would dial it in to be serious. I, I would say that's um, reminiscent of your coaching style right there you know, on keeping it fun and lighthearted, but then, okay, we got to get serious at certain points.
0: Um, and, and, and also two, two moments that stand out for me for him as a coach would be one. So my junior year, I really struggled to make weight, you know, I still try to make 91 pounds at, at times, you know, i bounce around a little bit, but, but still trying to make 91 pounds. And I remember going through a really hard cut one night and for a dual meet, which is just a high school versus high school you know, Wednesday afternoon type of thing. And I barely made weight that morning and I had to actually run before school to make weight. And then I show up at the mats and the other team didn't have someone in my weight class. So I, you know, you get a win, but it's via forfeit. You know, the team benefits. And Mr. Ortega came up to me after that match and and I remember he was like, you know, I'm really proud of you. Nice job making weight this morning. So that was one that I really remember well. Then the other was I, my sophomore year, I went through this phase where I used the same move all the time. And he would, he, he would call it a, either a JV move, which means basically like you can pull it off, but only if the kid's not good or a third period move. Like, Hey, you can use this, but only when the kid's tired and I get out there and I relied on this move and I pin it in like 14 seconds. I took him down, was called an oaky three quarter, you know, for those that wrestle, you know what I mean? but basically lock the kid's leg down grab his neck and you're tucking his head under his body basically like you're pinning him it's very uncomfortable you're sandwiching him so I jump up it's like it may even still be the fastest pin ever he grabs me and says I never want to see you do that ever again meanwhile I'm like I just pinned somebody in 14 seconds so it was cool to have that where it's like and and it's no different than CrossFit like cool you did a two-minute friend you know, half the reps were on your toes. You didn't lock out. Great. Let's do that, but better. You know, it's kind of the same principle. And at the time I I remember talking to my mom, I was like, why do you yell at me? You know, and he knew if I would have tried that against a better kid that it could have backfired. So those are two moments that really stand out.
1: You can't keep going back to that. Well, and so he, uh, he knew it, you knew it and maybe, you know, explaining it a little bit better would make you understand, or it sounds like his coaching style—like you'll just get burned by it eventually, and then you'll understand.
0: Oh, he just grabbed me. I remember him yanking me by the arm, like thinking he's happy, and he just yelled at me.
1: <laughs> uh, now, I I noticed uh, in reading the text on page eleven, uh, you talked about changing your mindset at age thirteen, and on you won a really big match, and your teammates all got around you and applauded, and they were all happy. And someone told you that they were trying to get you to quit since day one. And I just remember thinking, what kind of rabid wolverines at 13, 12 years old were on the team that they were trying to get you to quit from day one? But uh, do you think that that was the moment and that was a time period where you established your mindset to push through difficult things? Or was that just uh, just a one-off moment and you kind of developed that throughout the years, that ability?
0: You know, and that's funny because that was that same Pete. That was the the smaller of the twin. And he and Luke, every day I would show up and, like, I would literally start to get nervous around seventh or eighth period that I'm going to, like, who sends their kid to basically get their ass kicked for three hours every day? Like, my mom had no idea. I remember when I wanted to sign up for the wrestling team, my mom was like, "Ah, I don't know. And then she filled it out. But she said, definitely no football like there was a form you could fill out for the nurse or whoever had to do your physical. Meanwhile, it's like, this is way worse than if you just let me get tackled (laughs) a couple of times. So every day I would just keep showing up. And, and part of me was just like, I didn't know any better. I was like, I just set out like quitting. Isn't like what's quitting. There wasn't even an option. So I guess that moment was when he, when they said that to me, it kind of made sense. And, and also I was able to take a step back then and realize like these kids are actually nice to me off the mats. Like they have my back. I'm a small 91 pound freshman and not, not that it was like a bad high school. I'm getting bullied or anything, but I also knew if anything went wrong, I had these kids and not just them. I mean, when you're on the wrestling team, like I'm on varsity with seniors that are like the most popular kids in, in high school and big, you know, 215 pound dudes that we would goof around and like, pretend wrestle before practice. Um, So I think I just kept showing up because I was part of this and then realized, hey, they're just really mean to me on the mats and I got to get better. But I think, yeah, there's definitely something that gets ingrained because I was terrible my freshman year. So not only was I getting my ass beat every day by my friends, but then I would show up and get pinned really quickly by other people. You know, other you take a bus ride to... Austining like forty five minutes and you're just stressed out like great I'm gonna get pinned in front of girls you know as as a teenage boy so I think that definitely helped and then after that year is when I joined the gym with these guys you know we would go to the gym together my mom or their mom would drop us off at the gym and we work out together and I remember going into the next year as a sophomore as just like a completely different human being and staying undefeated for a long time winning tournaments so. Yeah, I think that's kind of where it comes from and you know you, you have it I think that you know when you talk about CrossFit where for me it really helps is I love those longer grind of a workouts like the 20 minute amraps like Cindy or even like a filthy 50 that just lasts a long time where you you know there's a point where other people want to quit. You know, a funny story that didn't make the book is when Caleb first came on as a as an intern and then coach, he was super athletic. I mean, he was probably, like, what, how, seven or eight years younger than me and very fit. And we would go head to head every single day in whatever the workout was, but whether it was what we did in class or dot .com, and I beat him 99% of the time. But he was way fitter than me, but he would break when he saw me take the lead. And I think that's kind of something that has carried
1: through. Shameless plug. Uh, a lot of those old videos can be found on the Albany CrossFit YouTube channel,
0: which I don't get any, you know, that's all you guys now, which is great. Definitely check that out. I mean, if you want to see some old videos of me and these guys working out, definitely do that. But, but you guys still put up great content also. So I think if, if you're just want to see what Jamie, you know, James, for those of you that don't know is the co-author of my other books. So when you're eating, uh, the definitive guide to flexible eating, but also played a big role in helping me edit this book. So, and is a phenomenal coach by himself. And you have a couple other books you wrote with John North. You, you have a really important special book coming out. Can you talk about it?
1: Uh, Not at the moment.
0: Okay. So we can't mention it, but, but if you search James McDermott, you'll see that he has a really special book coming out that I highly recommend you guys purchasing. Plug, plug over, check in the mail.
1: Good, good plugs. Um, So uh, I'm going to flash forward a little bit in this uh, this prologue here. Uh, There's some parts where you discuss starting to transition from someone who's a fitness enthusiast into someone who wants to work with others and start training. You were working out with Mike at the Globo Gym, and then you wanted to, you know, get on the staff, leave school early because there was a work program. And I was just wondering. Uh, If there's someone looking to change their life and find a new path in life, and maybe they're thinking fitness could be that avenue uh, where they start coaching, should they just start coaching or should they maybe look to get fit first and look to have some experience in the gym first? Because there's a lot of avenues now where I I notice people are just kind of diving right into training and coaching others uh, and maybe coming from a similar background that you did when there wasn't as much re- regulation, there wasn't as much certifications, there wasn't CrossFit. So uh, what, what would be your advice to that person? Should they just get into coaching and training or should they definitely look now to get a little more experience with themselves?
0: I think there's a balance of both. So I think, like you said, back in the day, it was pretty easy. I'd show up and I took the ACE, you know, I think American Council of Exercise Test I, Columbia University, you know, quick train ride from where I was living, and that's it. I was a certified personal trainer. Where now you can still do that, but if you really want to get some high-end qualifications, you know, be at the level three, the level four, some other great, you know, governing bodies out there, I think without that experience, I would have had a hard time. I remember, you know, reading these big textbooks for ACE, but also simply because I had trained for a few years at that point knowing it. So I think you can't replace that experience in the gym yourself. And I also think without it, you will, you will lack empathy. So even at this young age, you know, when I was working with Mike, I started to develop a little sense of empathy, ultimately not enough until that, you know, and that still, I'm still developing that like every single day, I'm still developing as a coach. So I think there's nothing wrong with shadowing. There's nothing wrong with you know, showing up at the box like you have interns, but make sure you're training yourself and trying to learn. I mean, I'll give a great example. I don't think it's in the book. So, and this is gonna take forever, James. If we're this is still the prologue, by the That's way. All right. <laughs> we have thirty chapters to go. Um, but so talk about like lacking empathy and not really understanding other human beings. The way Club Fit worked is when you joined, you got a free one-on-one session, say. It might've been more, I don't remember, but you get at least one one-on-one session. And I don't remember the guy's name, but he was much older. Uh, I would say, you know, when I think about him now, I picture the grandfather from that Seinfeld episode, Mandelbaum, remember? They're like, Do you remember oh, yeah. that
1: episode? That's who I, I could pick up that TV.
0: Yeah, I could pick up that TV. That's who I envisioned, although he probably was not nearly as fit and a little overweight. So he comes in. And I'm taking him through his first day working out. Like, this is a seven-year-old man. And I put him on these Cybex machines that I was using at the time because they were air pressure. I don't know if, you know, these, if you've not been to a global gym in a long time, but basically right side was increased the weight, left side decreased. So you can basically do eccentric loading. You can go really light, you know, say you're benching, push it out, and then start to load up the air pressure while it was out and, and resist. So I had this 70-year-old basically doing all these negatives, his first time working out. Didn't hear back, two weeks passed. And then, you know, at the time I wasn't following up, there wasn't social media. Like the only way to get in touch was to phone call, but I didn't. And then finally he comes back and he's like, Yeah, I had to go to the hospital. Like I was swollen. I had to get all this fluid massaged out. I mean, basically he had rhabdo. Oh man. So you know, I'm lucky he survived. Like, he could have died from that because I just didn't know any better. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Like, there's, there's a, if you look around, there's so many coaches that are like, do this, do that. And I do this. It's like, cool. That doesn't mean this 70-year-old should be doing that. I mean, my, my career would have ended very fast with a with a manslaughter you know, <laughs> conviction.
1: You, you have to scale people.
0: <laughs> Appropriate. And even then I don't remember thinking that to myself, like I almost killed this dude, but I remember, you know, realizing, okay, that might've been a little too much. Like, and then I continued to work with him for a long time, but you know, it almost, it almost didn't happen. So I'm saying to answer your question, learn from yourself and then, and then be willing to learn from others.
1: Perfect. Yeah. You got to have that experience under your belt. So if you're trying to change your own life, you still have to take the appropriate steps first.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, Now, also in that chapter there, uh, there's a photo of you with Renzo Gracie, a pretty cool, uh, well-known guy in the MMA scene. Uh, Do you have any stories that didn't make it into the book, training and rolling with Renzo, Uh, any sage wisdom he gave you, anything (laughs) like that?
0: (laughs) Just for the record, just in case any high-level jujitsu people are listening, it would be Henzo.
1: Oh, Henzo. There we go.
0: But – so I didn't really train under him very often. The The school that I trained at in Albany, which is still around, is owned by Bruno Tostas. So I graduated college in 2000 and really missed wrestling after that. You know, the, Fitness kind of took a little bit of that edge off, but it wasn't the same as wrestling. And I remember in Albany just Googling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu all the time to try to find a place. There was one dude that taught at like the downtown Albany YMCA you know that little like rundown one. Yeah. But it um it was like once a week and it wasn't legit. So finally Bruno opens and I was like his second or third student and really took to jujitsu and he was under Henzo Gracie. So every so often we would go to New York City and that picture is when I got my purple belt. So I don't really have any sage wisdom from him, but just you know the continued experience with jujitsu. jitsu has really taught me a lot. You know, similar to wrestling, but even. Even more so because now as an adult, you can really run with it. And it's just, you're going to be in these bad positions and you can't quit. You have to just keep going because every day that you roll, especially in the gi for those that train, you can just be held down by bigger, stronger people. And your initial reaction is going to be to give up and quit. And you can't. I mean, you can, you can tap, but you have to kind of remove those thoughts from your head first and then move on. And I think that's just what I love about jiu jitsu. It's a never ending journey, you know, one that I'm still on I train out here in Boulder, Colorado now, but you know, there will be a time today when I'm training where I'm like, F this, I'm just going to tap. And then I, you know, decide not to. So, so I think those are really the lessons, not necessarily directly from Henzo, but
1: from, from, from Jiu
0: Jitsu. Yeah.
1: Now that ha- that shares some similarities with CrossFit on wanting to put the bar down, wanting to come off of the pull-up bar, things like that. Which one has been just in your training the better teacher to be a little more you know um, hard-headed, a little more focused in your mindset, and not giving up or quitting when things get difficult?
0: Definitely jujitsu. What I tell people about the, the difference in CrossFit and Jiu-Jitsu is. In CrossFit, you decide if you want to put the bar down and take a rest. You know, you're doing Fran, that round of 15, you get to 10, you have a decision. I can do five more or I can put it down. In Jiu-Jitsu, you're getting choked by someone else that doesn't really care that you want them to stop. Yeah. Right? So that's really the difference. And I think Jiu-Jitsu will help your CrossFit for that reason. You don't get to determine when you speed up and slow down. I mean, there's some of that. And, of course, the better you get, the more you get to control it. But there are times where, like, you're getting choked, you escape, and now I have to go when I'm actually really tired and want to rest. So I think those those lessons help carry over. And the times that I had been training for, like, a jiu tournament, my CrossFit got better because I would think about that, you know, when I was tired and think, okay, if this is a match, I can't give up.
1: That's a really good lesson to learn. So anyone listening, go try out some, uh, some jiu-jitsu. I,
0: I mean, I think – What's cool about the place that I train at here in in Boulder, you know, Easton is there's tons of women that train, which I think is awesome because it's like, this sport is for everybody and whether you're, you know, woman, man, small, large, I think jujitsu is one of those sports that really can benefit you off the mats as well. And I know if I have children that they will be doing wrestling and jujitsu, whether they like it or not.
1: (laughs) You're going to be one of those parents.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: and why not? You only get one so many chances to do that too.
0: If I'm gonna mess them up, it's gonna be mostly physical. There you go.
1: <laughs> and only a little bit mental. Uh now um at the very tail end of before CrossFit, you talked about finding CrossFit and making an investment to pursue CrossFit. And I think that word can sometimes scare people, making an investment. So Do you have any advice, uh, something that's maybe not in the book for someone looking to make an investment in their health, fitness, a business, or maybe even a better word would be a a dream because you had a dream at one point and you decided that that dream was worth it enough to invest money, time, energy, uh, make sacrifices for, and that's a scary thing for a lot of people. Uh, And little do they know that they could easily make that happen because there's, a lot of other things that they invest in that it's just a part of their day, like, all right, getting Starbucks every single day, spending $5 there. It's something you could cut out to get to a bigger goal. So what, what, what advice do you have for someone who's afraid to make an investment because of the price tag on it, whether that be money or again, time, energy, et cetera.
0: I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is to just start. I think for most people when they want to begin something new, the idea of it is so scary. You know, take writing a book, which you've done, which I've done. You don't just sit down and write two hundred and six pages. You start with some really bad pages and you know some stress and associated with it. And you just have to show up every day and write something. And I think the same holds true with whatever your goal is. Sure, in this scenario it was mostly financial, but you know, whether it's weight loss or, you know, developing a new hobby. Just people think like, okay, I want to learn to play guitar. I can never be as good as, you know, Eric Clapton or George Harrison. Well, you have to just start. So, you know, spend five minutes plucking strings. You know, watch a video on YouTube. If you want to lose weight, go for a five-minute walk. You know, when we talk, we'll talk more about Murph later, but he didn't lose 200 pounds overnight. You know, it was just show up. To show up the next day and I think that that's really it for most people whether it's you want to start this new gym or something even bigger and more grand than that just do one step and maybe that might look like kind of writing down what what you have to do and chunking it down into even smaller steps.
1: No, I think, I think that's, that's good advice but Jay it's scary.
0: <laughs> yep you know and, and that's why but that's the good news about these small steps it doesn't have to be scary. You know, when you talk about nutrition, a lot of people, you know, try to take these big huge leaps at once where really it's like, hey, maybe just if you were to wake up and drink a glass of water first thing, you know, before you do anything else. That's your first step. But maybe also not only does that have an impact, but it starts a little bit of a steamroll for the rest of your day. So that it it could be anything, you know, and and, and that's what I think people, I'm the same way about things. Yeah. Then I think everyone is, we have these, you know, I'll say, okay, I want to get back into yoga. And then I'm like, well, I don't have an hour to do a yoga class. I have to find a studio. I have to join or, Hey, you could just stretch for 10 minutes today in your, in your bedroom. Like it doesn't have to be all in all the time, but you have to be moving forward.
1: Making little tiny, tiny action steps.
0: Yeah. And then when there's a time to go all in, when, which we'll talk about, you do it. But but, for you can't do that for everything in your life,
1: Well, what I think we'll find in breaking down the rest of the book as well is that uh, it you have to realize that it's okay to fail, and we're going to talk about many of your failures, many of the obstacles that you overcame and also didn't that kind of uh, added into everything that you've you've accomplished, so that'll be a nice thing as we go throughout the remaining chapters.
0: yeah, there's been lots of success, but there's probably been more failures. So I'm excited to talk about those. And I think that's something we often forget about when we're looking at someone, you know, maybe someone is looking at this and they're like, Oh, Jay's achieved this. And he's a level four and he's owned three affiliates. And, you know, he's had it easy. You always hear that. Like he's had it easy. It's like, well, this book took 25 years to write, you know, not literally, but yeah, there's a lot of failures and we're going to talk about all those. And, and without those though, I think. I wouldn't be where I am today.
1: Exactly. Even the book cover, going through all the little reshoots on the color of the shirt, that one didn't work. The nipples were showing on this one. You know, there's, there's failures and there's successes, and sometimes we just see what's on the cover, but we don't know what came before it.
0: Absolutely, great point. And then, if you notice on the book cover, while well, you're listening, but if you if you've seen the picture, my hands are covering my nipples.
1: There you go. <laughs> we should have just used tape. <laughs> <You> know,
0: just... <laughs> next time, next cover.
1: Yeah. All right. That's all I got for you today. Or on this chapter.
0: Thanks again for listening to that special episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you enjoyed, go ahead and download the book. You can check out the audiobook. You can check out the paperback or even the ebook. We place the link right in the show description. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.